Welcome back to How They Train. Today I'm joined by Australian pro triathlete Nick Castellini. Nick won Ironman Victoria a couple of weeks ago in an epic race with fellow professional triathlete Cameron Worth. Nick's also had a heap of other world-class results like winning Ironman Switzerland, coming sixth at the Ironman 70.3 World Champs. I reckon he's had about 10 big podiums at Ironman or middle distance uh, races all around the world and, and just being one of those guys that has, has been around the triathlon world for what feels like forever. Nick, what's going on, mate? How's, uh, how's your life after your big win? It's changed significantly, uh, Jack. It's uh, yeah. It's uh, I can't complain at the moment. I'm, 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 it's it's quite a good life. <laughs> Did you? Uh, I act, when I saw that when I was watching parts of the race and and saw you performing that well. I must admit, I I, I hadn't forgotten about you, but I was sort of like, oh yeah, Nick's still around. Like it felt like you hmm. maybe like. Uh, distanced yourself from the scene a little bit hadn't been racing quite as much as what you what you once had and and so it was awesome to see you back putting on a performance like that can you like talk to me about the last couple of years and and what you've been doing yeah it's an interesting one because um for me I've always been in in the tri scene but you know with with a lot of things that happened with COVID and you know I did have a an accident in in 2020 where I fractured my pelvis and, and there's all these things that happen behind the scenes and I'm not a guy to, to really vocalize it too much. You know, I, I have my life outside of triathlon, which I enjoy a lot. And, and yeah, like the, the thing is with triathlon, if you're not, you know, at the top in the, on the podium or, or winning races regularly, you're almost forgotten about, you know, but, and, and it's, it's tough as well because you, like when you have this bad streak, you also kind of question yourself, but, um, you know, I mean, Vittori was a nice, um, nice one to kind of get some runs on the board. And, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of back to some good form. Did you know leading into the, the race a couple of weeks ago that you were in that sort of form? No idea. No idea. I mean, I, I had a really good winter and I just, I did a couple of halves, um, you know, early in the season as, as pre-race, you know, also to qualify for 70.3 worlds but I just maybe I I overdid it a little bit and and I was too keen and then the preparation I had I felt I was mentally and physically probably the most stress-free I'd been and and this doesn't kind of uh, relate to Ironman if you're training for Ironman it's like the more tired and the more fatigued you are the hard the better you're training right so that I I was I wasn't confident, but yeah, I had no idea. I knew, I knew I had something, but I didn't know what. <laughs> with that, with that training block leading into Ironman Victoria, did you like? Were you doing the same things you'd always done? Was it just was? It, did it just feel like another Ironman block, or was it was it a little bit different? Did you try some new things? Can you sort of talk to me about it? Sure. So, I made a mistake a couple of months before Ironman Victoria, where I, I went to seventy points in Mallorca. And I was just like, you know, I woke up the morning of the race and I was like, oh, we have to do this again. Like I was just so tired. After the race, I was talking to people. I started working with um, physiotherapists and, and, you know, really focusing on, on um, my recovery, my nutrition and, and did some blood tests as well. And, you know, um, nothing really came back positive, but I was pretty sure I was overtrained. And so the, the whole block before that, um, I had fitness to build on, 
And then the whole block before that, it was just smart and controlled, you know? Um, you know, the weather in, in Girona these days is just crazy. It's like mid to high 30s every day at the moment. And so you have to be on top of your nutrition, your hydration. And, you know, I'm doing these long sessions purposely in the afternoon in the heat because like I, I had this thing in my mind where it just made me fit and everyone's at altitude and I have my life here and I, I, I can't afford to go to altitude all the time. And so the heat was my friend. And I, and I feel like having these controlled heat sessions was, was one of the keys for me. And, and we know that Girona, like historically has been a, an endurance mecca, maybe even at points, the endurance capital of the world, but what made you a country Australian lad head over to, to Europe and, and base yourself in Girona? <laughs> um, long story short, I was in um, Vittoria actually where, where I won the race and I was there with the, the kind of short course Australian team, not as part of the team, but I was there to train and I just, you know, with the coaches and things, I just didn't like the environment. And I was like, okay, I'm going to pack my bags and, and just start somewhere fresh and new. And Girona, which was famous for cycling at the time, just, you know, ticked a lot of boxes. It had a 50 meter pool, which isn't so common to find here. And, um, and I just, yeah, I fell in love with the place. And, and after my, uh, my first few weeks here, I actually found some, some good training company. And then, um, yeah, it just grew from there. And now I'm, I'm more or less permanently based here. So, you know, it's a perfect training environment. Hey, can you take me a little bit inside what you didn't like about the, the short course racing scene? Because I've had a couple of guests who have come on here and, and I've got some mates who are very much the same. They, they didn't like what the Australian short course uh, scene, for, for lack of a better word, once was. And I'm not mm. sure if it's still the case. I'm a little bit out of the loop there. But, but what was your mm. sort of time like in, in, that, um, in that environment? <laughs> do you want the do you want the friendly version or you want the the real version <laughs> you, you can't be you can't like uh speak more aggressively bad than it than steve mckenna did when he come on so say whatever you want oh really okay he okay. went to I'll town have to, I'll, have to chase, <laughs> I'll have to chase that one down um no like i you know i always had this kind of dream to 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 live in europe and to train and to be in this group and and everything and and my first few years, I was hit, I was there, but you know maybe it's because I didn't have the success in short course that I wanted, but also the I felt like the the pathway and the politics and and a lot of the things within triathlon Australia were were just so I don't know biased and and favoured towards coaches and the and the staff more than anything, and I see there's a big movement happening now with that. And so, and I'm, I'm out of the loop now. I'm, I'm happy that I don't get involved with any of that world, but um, yeah, they would just like, you know, they would just control or try to control everything. And I think as an athlete, you also have to learn what works for you and what, like, for example, if you want to have a dessert for, for dinner, you have your dessert, but maybe eventually you learn that having a dessert and a high sugar meal at, before bed isn't the best for recovery who knows but you know they would tell you and force you into the right way instead of helping you learn and develop your own habits I think is probably the best way to put it so I just needed to I needed to get out of it 
that that story. I'm not sure you might have even even been around the group at the same time Jamie Huggett was, but he's a good mate of mine, and I was. He, <laughs> yeah, he he yeah he's talked to me a bit about you as well. So mm. uh, he was telling a story about how one night, um, and Jamie is a, and has always been a real skinny bloke. Like uh, he back then mm. he would have weighed like in fifty something kilos. He wouldn't have even been sixty yeah. something, and. Uh, and one night he, instead of eating, they were, he was supposed to eat steak and some veggies for dinner. But instead of doing that, he went and got mm-hmm. some pasta. Uh, and as yep. punishment uh, for doing that, he wasn't allowed to train with the group the next day. And like, we're not talking <laughs> about, he didn't go to Macca's or he didn't go and grab like a Zinger box no. from KFC. He went and grabbed some pasta no. <laughs> and he yep. got yep. Yeah. So let me tell you, let me tell you, and I can relate to that a hundred percent. And I still remember this story to the day where um, my, my time in Victoria with this, this group was funded by me. You know, I would pay for everything. You know, I would have the, the, let's say opportunity to train with the group but that was, that was my benefit. And so one day I was, I was having lunch, you get a menu del dia, which is a three course meal in Spain. And it's 10 or 15 euros. And when you're a young triathlete, it's like you pay that every day and it starts to add up. And I was so hungry and I was like, okay, today I'm going to get the profiteroles as a dessert. Right. And, um, you know, Jamie and then one of the other coaches was, was there, Jono Hall. And Jono speaks fluent Spanish. And what happened was, um, Jamie said, um, so Jono said something to the waiter. I was like sitting there waiting for my profiteroles. I was like, yes, this is like, I'm going to love this. And the waiter has brought out an apple on a plate. And I was like, you know, you see the funny side and it's a good joke, but I'm like, I also, I'm paying for myself and I want my, I want my profiteroles. And there, it was kind of like this schoolyard environment you know, where it's a joke, but at the same time, you know what I mean? And it, it just never sat well with me, this no. thing. And I, and at the same time, they were trying to encourage you to lose weight because that was the thing at the moment. But um, yeah, that's my story. <laughs> so now that you're in, in your mid-30s and you've been around the professional triathlon world for forever and you've surrounded yourself mm-hmm. with uh, as world-class as it gets in terms of athletes you've, you've lived and trained with, how would you, like, if you could go back into a system like that, right, what would you change? Would you, like, would you just let athletes find their own way a little bit or do you know, do you, was some of the things they were doing in that regard the right things just, like, presented the wrong way? Yeah, I, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not the, probably the best person to to say it from a coach's perspective because i know it's a it's a complex thing you know um but as i as i mentioned before giving athletes the tools to learn and develop themselves rather than forcing them in a certain direction i think you know like let's let's the athletes grow so much more you know and I, i you know i know there's this whole um, let's call it an underworld of, of um, staffing that happens within Triathlon Australia where, you know, I know, for example, um, you know, the physiotherapist was the friend of one of the coaches. The, it wasn't a very good physiotherapist, but, you know, the coach wanted to have a friend there when we were training in, in Spain. And, and things like this that just didn't make... Uh, high performance sense at the time and you know I think you need um, 
like an external source that kind of overlooks and questions a lot of the the decisions made in my opinion yeah and I, I guess like the thing about it is we haven't had a lot of success since that period have we like as a as a fed we're a small country and and you know we don't actually have a lot of people who grew up grow up doing triathlon not compared to to what you get in europe especially but yeah, it, our, our sort of compared to what it was in the the really early two thousands. If you if you go sort of from your time in that the short course environment right up until now, we really haven't had much success, have have we? No, and I I don't think it's you can put it down to being a small nation. Like we're small but strong, and I think you know having having important leaders like high high profile high performance athletes also sets a benchmark but it also you know it has this burnout culture as well you know because <clears throat> because it's not such a athlete friendly environment you want to get in and get out as quick as possible right so there's no one to kind of i guess look up to in in that sense if if you understand and um yeah i mean you could talk about it for a long time but um you know hopefully hopefully with with the recent run of of, of performances in the in the shorter course racing that you know we wake up a little bit and and make some good changes and speaking of sort of training and, and coaches you work with uh dan larang now don't you who is you know really as 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 well known as it gets in, in as far as triathlon coaches go around the world like um i think if uh if everyone could pick the the like their number one coach that they would want to be coached by, it might be him, and he's very selective with who with who he coaches. Um, am I right in 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 assuming you still work with him? Yeah, it's correct. So Dan and I have been together for hmm, five, six, seven years, I think, um, and I think we kind of both met more or less at the same time, where he was, you know, he was starting to become like a you know, quite a well-known coach, but at the same time didn't, um, I think he got a gig for, for Bora not long after that. And, and we kind of just developed a, like, I would also say a friendship as well, because I think you need that. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm quite lucky to have him as a coach and call him a coach because the, the, the roster that he has now is, is world-class, you know? Yeah, uh, we were talking to to Frederick Funk the other day, who's one of his newer athletes, isn't he? And and he yep. he really had like nothing but but good things to say about Dan. Can you can you sort of take me into your experience of of working with him over the past five to six years, and like take me through maybe the the changes that that came about in your training as a result? Yes. Yeah, so um, when I when I made the move from short course to long course, I basically I didn't have another coach except Dan. So I haven't known a lot of other different ways to train, but I'm also a type of all in guy, you know. So if if your coach says something, um, you do it right, and and you do it to the best of your ability. And I'm a, like I don't we don't have a lot of communication, and and that's the type of athlete I am. You know, I see the program. He knows my numbers, my data, and everything, and and we just operate best like that. You know, um, I like I don't I don't know if I could do the the daily communication and ah oh, like I didn't feel good here, but I felt great here. Like that's just part of of the training process, right? And 
and the way that Dan coaches, I think he's got such an array of athletes that some of his athletes respond really well to, you know, high volume, high intensity um, training loads where for me, I just, um, yeah, I spent so many years training at such a high intensity with, with other athletes that it probably didn't work so well. So recently, the biggest change we've probably made is just dialing it back a little bit and not going into into the red zone so much. Um, and and I have to say, like my, my preparation for Victoria, I said, was one of the, the most stress-free um, blocks that I've done. And I think it's, you know, it, you know the, everyone's talking about the Norwegian way, but but just managing your intensity and not having these big sessions that, that everyone kind of needs for, for confidence in training goes a long way. So I'm, I'm 34 and still learning. <laughs> in, this, in this block leading into Vittoria, can you maybe be a little bit more specific with what you did? Because I'm really interested in that. I, I maybe wrongly always had this perception of you from what I'd heard that you were quite a hard trainer and was, was sort of a more is better kind of guy. And, and it, yeah, it does seem like you went against that for, for, for Victoria. So. Yeah, it definitely. Um, you know, I've, as I said, I've spent years and years kind of, I guess, belting my head against the wall and, and part of you knows it's not the correct thing, but then, you know, the other part, the old school part says, okay, if I, if I go to the limit today for this session and I can do the sessions tomorrow, then it's okay, right? You know, like I, I survived and I'm okay. Um, so why not? And, and mentally it, you know, it makes you stronger being able to suffer so much, but I also think long-term it, it drains you, you know, because you give so much in training that you don't have as much to give in races. And, um, and so the, the sessions um, we would do would, I mean, for the swim, he just, uh, Dan just tells me, okay, intensity, aerobic, and, and I have the sessions. And basically since the start of the year, I do the same sessions every single, um, week. I, I, I progressively load, um, the session within the session, but, you know, I just find, okay, Monday, I have to do this swim Tuesday's threshold. And, and, and for me, it works. Like I've, I'm so consistent in the swim and I pay very little attention to it which i'm i'm shocked about but if it works why change it right um the writing i i'm don't think i'm in a position to to give out advice just yet <laughs> i'm working on a lot of things and you know dan has a lot of strong cyclists in his stable but um you know more recently i've been working on this hip impingement that i i didn't know existed where when you're in you know, that real aggressive aero position or even a squat at the gym, um, you, your TFL and, and a lot of other muscles override and, and it, you, you, you can't train the muscle like, like you want. And I, I feel like that was part of the, sorry, part of the success for, for Vittoria is just unlocking this a little bit, you know, um, because riding you, to me it's simple you you go out you do your strength sessions you do your threshold intervals uh vo2 work whatever you want to do and you know you take all that you put it into your time trial position and and away you go right 
but um, yeah, I can't say I'm going to give advice for that one. But um, and then for for running, um, you know, I I used to be able to to push and really really suffer on the track. I would I would go around and do one k repeats and see the fastest time I could do it. But now I just work to a to a heart rate and I keep it all. You suffer, but you don't suffer so much that you can't back up. And, and that in, in combination with just long aerobic strength runs in winter and then flatter runs closer to the race, I think really got me, well, you know, the 38 seconds uh, window that I needed in Ironman Victoria. Yeah, with your run, because it's always seemed like something, there's this like perception that like people are naturally good at things. It's very rarely how it is. It's usually because since they were young or for what it like, they've trained really hard for it for a really long time. And, you know, the the classic example is Nick Kyrgios is a waste of talent. Like, no, he's been playing tennis since he was like four years old. He's like, he wasn't just yeah. born great at tennis. Like, uh, and yeah. I, I would say your running is one of those things where outside looking in, it sort of seems like you've just always been a good runner. Um, but how much, how much running were you doing in the lead up to Victoria? Like, um, has your running changed much of late or is it, are you sort of just always doing, doing the same stuff you have your whole career? No, I, I, I have changed a little bit, but it's, it's an interesting one because before 2020, um, and I'm talking about when I had a, had my bike accident and fractured my pelvis, I would say I had a couple of good runs. You know, uh, a 112 or 113 and a half. And I think 250, I think, was my best marathon time in Ironman. Um, but apart from that, like, I was I had bad form, you know, tightness here and, and you know, hip imbalances and things. I, I got my, well, I got, I received my pelvic fracture and I, I had to start from scratch. And I was just doing a lot of hip uh, strengthening and and worked a lot on muscle uh yeah muscle activation and muscle firing patterns and and i would just go out thinking okay when you land engage your hamstrings engage your glutes and and i think this like this was just the the best platform for me to be such an efficient runner now i'm not i'm not the best runner in triathlon and i'm far from it but um yeah it 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 kind of um it really, really helped me kind of, um, yeah, work on this efficiency and, and try to, uh, yeah, back end the, like I negative splitted the, the marathon in Ironman Victoria. And that to me is unheard of. I would always blow up a kilometer 30 and I, I, I put it down to efficiency and I, it, it was off the back of four days of running a week. Yeah, you know, right. I would do um, two, in, um, two intense sessions where where i would go to the track mostly to do longer two three kilometer reps um you know a long run um you know maybe some hill some strength work you know four six eight minutes up the hill and then an aerobic run and that was it yeah that's crazy like yeah i think that would be on the very lower end of of most guys training for an ironman particularly at the, the pro level um how, how long were your were your long runs the longest one I did was two hours 15. Okay. Yeah. yeah wow. Before, before the race. And, but, but saying that I remember this run and I remember coming back <clears throat> being really happy with it because I would just, there's this trail and you just follow the trail for um, 
you know, however many kilometers, um, an hour 52 and a half minutes gets me, <laughs> uh, sorry, 52 minutes out. And, and it was 38 degrees and I just kept it really controlled. And I think if you run two hours, 15 and it's, it's 38 degrees or, or 40 degrees on the trail, um, it's, it's worth a bit more in my books, you know, um, you say that, you know, if you're on the trainer cycling inside, it's, it's worth time and a half or something, you know, but training in the heat, I think you, you get some extra bonus points. Were you ever incorporating um, any quality inside your long runs in the lead up to Vittoria or were they always just like pretty cruisy long runs? No, they were, they were moderate, moderate. Um, I would, most of the time I would sit at, 120 to 135 heart rate for me which you know which uh, my max would be you know 165 so just to put it into perspective and and you know no need to no need to do any intensity there but if I was to do a hill rep session which I would do the day before you run up and down a hill for, for eight minutes you do four or five of them and the session is an hour 20 or an hour 30 once you run up and down so you know it's not like I didn't do intensity within the long run it's just that the intensity sessions ended up being long <laughs> yeah 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 and, and for like the four runs how how much volume would that end up being like every week um like, like what was your biggest run week oh geez 30 50s I mean, you know, it would probably be between 75 to 95 kilometers. Yeah. You know, 95 being in the sessions where I'll go to the track, you know, the long run is two hours, 15, that would be the maximum. But, you know, I think more than that and, and I would start to fall apart, uh, like physically, you know, injuries and things. How much, um, how much like uh, time do you put into thinking about what shoes you're going to run in in training? Not a lot now. I, I have something that I, I worked worked on in during COVID times and and now I, I have my shoes that I that I train with um, and it you know like in my opinion are the the best <laughs> but you know everyone's going to debate it but for my my running style and my I I think I averaged 185 cadence for for my run in in Victoria. And, and that means I'm a more of a four foot striker than anything. And, and having the, I run in the alpha flies, Nike alpha fly. And, and if you run on your toes or your, you know, mid four foot, I think these work really well. And I don't need to think about it. How much, uh, how much time do you spend in training wearing alpha, alpha flies? Are you one of those people who, who, you know, would wear them once a week, max once every fortnight or save them for races, or are you in them quite a bit? My, my formula that, that whether it works or not after this, I'm not sure, but, um, I would do my trail runs in a Nike Pegasus, the trail shoe. Um, I would do track sessions, um, in a fly three. So it's a, it's, um, you know, one of the earlier cheaper models because I, I buy my shoes. Um, the fly three has the carbon plate. It doesn't have the, the Zoom X foam. I think it has a, just a slightly different foam, but it allows for the same, I guess, um, running biomechanics that would an alpha fly would give you. So you're not going to be, it's not going to be a big step from, you know, your, your track sessions to your race shoe. 
you know. And then um, my tempo runs, I would either, I mean, I have to say I've, I'm probably running in, an, in a really old pair of Fly 3s where they don't give me a lot. But again, it, it lends itself to, to the same running pattern. And then once or twice before the race, I would, I would run in the Alpha Flies. Yeah, right. Yeah, the Zoom Fly 3, it's, it's like similar but different, isn't it? It's uh, like uses React foam. Yep. It like feels quite a bit firmer than the Alpha Fly. Doesn't have the yep. doesn't have the magic feel, but but I know what you're saying, and it, it has that same. It feels like it 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 it's like affecting your mechanics in a very similar way. Yeah, and I think you know um, trail running is different, okay. But when you're running on the flat and you you know you you race on the flat, you you want the same running mechanics more or less. But if you train in the alpha fly, for example, you're gonna, you're not gonna get that that race feel sensation like when you put your race wheels on, and and I know the shoe fits me, and I know it doesn't rub, and I don't have any problems with it. So once once I have that sorted, it's not, yeah, like you just have this kind of extra spring in your step, but you don't have to change anything, and that to me that's that's worth gold. Okay, okay, okay. It's uh, time to thank some best friends of the show who have signed up to, to support the show over on Patreon. Um, this is honestly becoming my favorite part of the show every week these days. First up is uh, Annabelle White. Annabelle has been supporting the show for pretty much the whole time it's been going. Uh, she's, she's a triathlete who has big dreams to make it at the top of the sport. She, she lives on a farm in, in Wagga, which is very blue collar, but I just don't understand living in Wagga like I've told her. Just can't imagine there's that much to do there, uh, except for for train with Brad and Radka Kalafelt. A- Annabelle is actually the person who set up me having those two on the show the other week, which was bloody awesome, and I, I really appreciate. She was a gun runner who who made the switch to the dark side in triathlon. She's uh, she's also usually the first person to message me on the how they train Instagram and tell me exactly what I'm doing right and wrong every week, which seriously I, I love. Um, thanks, Annabelle. You're the bomb and you already know how much I value your support of the show. The next person to thank is Chloe Hartnett. Chloe is actually an athlete that I coach. Uh, the first athlete that I coach that signed up to Patreon, which is which was awesome. Um, she's just turned pro and will be targeting some big 70.3 races over the next six to 12 months. Chloe is already one of the best female cyclists in Australian triathlon. Um, she had the fastest female bike split in her last outing at, at Cairns um, by like six or seven minutes and and she broke the, the female bike course record at the Hell of the West Triathlon earlier in the year, which is a like a really long-standing and super iconic triathlon in Australia. So those of you who know, know how impressive that is um, and, and some of the names that have raced that race. Uh, she, she, Chloe's just a name to watch out for. And in my opinion, it, it might be biased, but but I think she's going to be one of our very best long-course triathletes in the next two to three years. So keep your, keep your eye out on uh, on Chloe's name and, and get over on Instagram and show us some love and support. Uh, thanks to you both for, for your support uh, and signing up, becoming best friends of the show over on Patreon. I, I honestly can't thank you enough. If you'd also like to sign up and support the show on Patreon, the link, as always, is in the description of the episode um, or it's over on the How They Train Instagram. You just have to click the link in the bio. It costs $2 per week to become a very good friend of the show or $5 per week to become a best friend of the show. So if you think you get one cup of coffee worth of value out of the show every week, then then your support means more than you could possibly imagine. It, it is literally allowing me to make this show something that 
hopefully will last forever. Um, I'm seriously just so bloody grateful uh, for each and every one of you that have already signed up and and I'll be thanking two people a week every single week until I've thanked you all. So if I haven't thanked you already, just know that it's coming. Uh, enjoy the, the rest of the episode with Nick. Honestly, this episode just gets better and better. So strap in and, and yeah, enjoy. And um, something else I've been really fascinated in, in, in hearing from you about is that that Dan coaches, like you said, um, a professional cycling team in Bora. Um, like we said, he, he, he's the coach of Frederick Funk, who like very well might be the best cyclist in long course triathlon at the moment. Jan Fredino, we know he probably, his bike's probably one of the most underrated bikes in the game. Um, and Lucy Charles Barclay's bike's gone to a ridiculous level since he started working with her. And, and I think mm. you've had patches in your career where your bike has been like, like you've been a beast on the bike and, and rode off on the front of races, maybe, maybe too hard for your own good on, on some occasions. Um, <laughs> is there something that you guys all do that, that, that makes your bike so strong or is it like, what is the, what is the thing that, that is there, is there a thing that separates what you guys are doing on the bike versus what other coaches are, are giving athletes? I'm going to, I'm going to give that one to Dan and I, you know, Dan is such a smart guy and he doesn't just prescribe programs. He prescribes them with reason. And I think that's the biggest thing because, you know, triathletes, everyone can suffer on the bike, right? Everyone can push Watts and, and do this, but it's, it's that periodization and, and having, um, you know, building your, your VO2 max and, and pushing, increasing your threshold. And then, um, you know, taking the science from, from those sessions and implementing them, you know, um, to, to the future sessions. And I think like, you know, we are, we are more or less, I mean, it's changing a little bit now, but we're, we're robots to the program. And if Dan says you uh, jump, you, you, you jump. And um, that's why you have a coach is to take the, the, the guesswork and the science away from it. And, you know, if, you, if there's a secret formula to it, I, I don't know it because um, Dan would keep them very close to his chest. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Dan's, Dan's the man for that one. And I, I, you know, I don't know his secrets, but he, he does seem to have a good stable of, of strong cyclists. If, if you were to, just like to describe what your cycling training looks like, like, you know, is it, are, you, are you a high-volume guy under Dan or are you more a quality-over-quantity kind of guy? What, like, what is the signature of your bike training? Balance. <laughs> Balance, for me especially. I, to be honest, I find long rides, those long endurance rides to be quite boring. You know, And I, I train more or less by myself now, so that probably doesn't doesn't contribute we have some great loops in jerome that you can do um but i would much prefer to do and we have done it in the past where you incorporate you know 15 20 or even 30 minute um threshold intervals for example into a long ride and i prefer that so much more but i also know it's probably counterproductive um in dan's eyes but you know i I would do my long sessions with, with the intensity closer to the race. We were doing the, like, um, I did 45, well, more than once. I did 30 to 45 minute time trial intervals. Um, you know, just being in that position for so long, working 
you know, at 90% of your FTP or, or um, you know, how, however you want to put it. And, yeah, and, and you do that and you do these repetitions for so long and it's a long, it's three and a half or, or close to four hours. And, and to me, that's, that's the best way to get those type of sessions in. You pair that with, with good strength work and we have some nice, really long hills here in Girona. So you can do 15, 20 minute strength intervals, roll back down the hill and, and go back up. I know in Mudgee, where, where I'm from originally, you can't find a hill more than five minutes <laughs> and it makes it hard to train. Um, yeah, and, you know, I, I can't say I found the secret to it, but, um, you know, at the moment it was, it was enough for me uh, in, in Vittoria, so no complaints. And that's that's probably uh, something else you said there that you're doing most of your training by yourself at the moment. Um, is there a reason for that? Because I know, like you were you and you and Jan Fredino were obviously training partners forever, um, and and you guys had a really good squad. Like you've, you know, so many people have gone through their training with you guys. What what's um what's what's led to you doing most of your stuff by yourself? Yeah, so um, it's kind of what I touched on before. Is is you know there we were we were always training at different levels but i would always be pushing you know just that little bit harder maybe it's only five percent and and with everything that's happened since since covid and and things um you know i was at uh, 33 in covid 34 now and um you know i it was time for me to start working for myself and and the thing with with training with someone is that um yeah, like there's always someone that dictates the sessions and there's always someone that needs to follow, right? And and it just got to the point where Jan was was so busy and caught up with with his businesses and his training commitments and all this stuff, which which I understand. And so there's no flexibility in the sessions. And so, you know, you're working around a um like a a timetable based on the school drop-off. Or, or meetings that that I didn't have and then I didn't need to make and as a professional you, you eventually need to kind of s- start thinking for yourself and you know a lot of people have actually questioned me about it in the last year or so and I just say it's a, the same thing it's an opportunity and a burden at the same time because um, you know are you gonna are you gonna train with the world's best and I mean if you if you survive the sessions great but you know if you can kind of put that on the race course is another thing because you're training someone else's program right so um yeah that was it was more of a a selfish decision on my part we never really spoke about it you know we we just kind of faded out you know oh can you train in the morning oh no like you know i have to drop the kids to school so i have to wake up early and i'm like okay well you know i'm not going to wake up early because it's winter and it's cold and dark outside um and that was it. You're like, yeah, we, we, we still say hello to each other, but you know, I guess it was more of a, a professional relationship in the end. So yeah. This is um, so interesting because I think most people who have trained for triathlon or maybe even running or cycling can relate to that story in that, or have had a relationship exactly like that where they're the one who sort of is moving their schedule around to suit somewhere that someone they're training with or, you know, whatever, whoever it is, whatever your thing is, like maybe you've been the guy who's 
or the guy or girl who's who's you said, hey, let's get there at six a.m. They've said yes, and then six twenty rolls around, mm-hmm. you're still waiting for them, or or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And and so I was listening to that and and like doing that thing that we all do as humans, going like, oh, that reminds me of this time that happened to me. And um, yeah, and and, and yeah, so <laughs> it's it's really interesting to hear that even at that sort of level where you guys are doing it um, full time professionally, you know that that stuff's happening and I, I know that like david mcnamee when i was chatting to him he he said that um you know him and yarn had a falling out and, and it didn't work for for whatever reason and and i'm not saying you and yarn had a falling out or anything but for the same same sort of thing is you've you've drifted apart as training partners and 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 come to the realization maybe it was just more a professional relationship it's um it's you, you don't really think about that sort of thing do you when when you look at a professional athlete you just sort of you know, see them at a race and, and don't think about like real like life things that are happening with them and their training as well? No, like from the outside, it all seems quite, um, quite idealistic, right? You know, you, you're training with, you know, at the time the best, well, still arguably the, the, the best triathlete in the world. And why would you pass it up? Why would you want to change anything? You know, you could do this, you could do that. And, um, you know, also a lot of attention comes, comes your way, but I'm also not one for a lot of attention as well. So, you know, after, after years of kind of doing the same thing, um, yeah, like you just, you have these real life problems where, you know, um, Jan being the busy business guy, he is, he's, he was managing family and his wife and, and businesses and uh, interviews and all of this stuff. And he was notoriously quite late every single session. And it adds up and it wears on you a little bit. And I accepted it because, you know, it's, it's a small price to pay. But, um, you know, now I, I, like everyone, you, you have your sport. So you do you, or your work and you train. But then, you know, right now I also enjoy coming back from sessions and, and, and enjoying my life outside of triathlon. And if, if I have to work around another program and you know um you know waiting on pool deck for for who knows how long it it eats into your your personal time and i would prefer to spend that with my my dog and my girlfriend you know (laughs) that's that's the reality of it and that's the same with with um people who have families is the the their time short or um and they want to do the sessions get home and and live their life you know and I'm not like I I wouldn't say this podcast ever dabbles in drama, but um, so I'm not going to go too deep on it for you. But um, I, before, <laughs> like now, you seem like you you've you've sort of just accepted, like oh yeah, it is what it, it is. Move on. But when you were when you were going through that, like it's it's you know it's first world problems. Obviously, I know that. But when you're mm. when you're going through like waiting at a cafe for 30 minutes for someone to show up or waiting for 20 minutes on a pool deck and you're sort of getting there. Were you at the time having like um, periods where you were really frustrated and, and like getting pissed off and, and it was affecting your training and, and then when you guys would actually train together, like was there a bit of tension because you were a bit pissed off about what was happening or, um, or, or <laughs> like was it just the, hey, this is Jan Fredino, like I just do what he says? No, like, you know, we, we were mates as well. And, and we're also just, just blokes. And if, you know, something, 
piss the other person off. You, you know, you know. But also we, we, we would talk a lot about emotional intelligence. And, and Jan's quite emotionally intelligent. And so he, he's aware that if he's late or, you know, he, he, yeah, for whatever reason, steps over the line. And I had quite a, quite a high threshold with this stuff. You know, he would know and apologize. And then you just, you move on. That's, that's what blokes do. Right. And, um, and in terms of waiting, like, yeah, like, as I said, sometimes it's a small price to pay, but you know, we would always talk about, you know, I mean, I would wait, you know, whatever, 15, 30 minutes. Okay. But the quality of the session that you would get from doing it with someone else is just, you can't kind of, um, you, you can't have the same results doing that by yourself. And, and that was the, that was the benefit of waiting a lot of the time is because, you know, you, you both nail this session and you, you know, the, the energy and the adrenaline you get from it just is unparalleled. And so that was, that was always the thing, like how, I mean, I, I can do it now. And I think it's, it's something that you mentally train for is like, you know, these long sessions by yourself. And I think it, it makes you so much stronger as an athlete to do it by yourself. But, but also you just, you know, if you're going to do 10, four hundreds in the pool at threshold, sometimes it's better if you've got someone to your right-hand side, <laughs> you know, just, just to keep you honest and that's all. And, and you said like, and, and I, I obviously uh, know from like talking to people and, and seeing what's going on that you guys were mates for years and trained together for years. Um, and we're really like uh, you guys were the, the core of that training group. Like a, a guy would come in every now and then, but it was you too, really, wasn't it? Um, and so it's really yeah. interesting to me that, to hear you say it, that at, at the end of it, like uh, maybe it was just a professional relationship and, and that you've never really talked about it, that it was just sort of like a fade out mm. of, can you come train? Oh no, mate, I can't like, that's uh that's mm. pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It is a little bit. And um, you know, it's still not, not confuses me now, but I guess, you know, we, we both gave a lot to each other during that time and yeah i mean it's like any you can call it a breakup or or not but um these things happen and and you you fall out and yeah it's i it's it's still something that that not confuses me because i think it happened naturally you know there wasn't a moment where it's like okay that's it like we're breaking up <laughs> you know it's not it's it, it just it was a natural progression and and yeah I, everyone knows the the type of person Jan is and and the people around him are, are his friends but they're also his business partners and so you know for to have this this busy hectic life you know your yeah your business partners are your friends and if you're not the business partner then you, he probably doesn't have time for you so, and that's, that's the reality of, of a high profile guy. So now that you're in Girona, do you, when you say you, you train mainly by yourself, do you literally mean you do every single session always by yourself or are you still occasionally going on a ride with, with, with people there? And cause I assume there's like, there would still be a crazy amount of professional cyclists going through the joint. And I know there's still an, another, uh, few, like a few other professional triathletes that, that live there that aren't Jan Fredino as well. 
Mm. No, there's um there's a lot of triathletes and there's a lot of um amateur triathletes, there's a lot of amateur cyclists, professionals. It's it's booming right now. It's 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 almost too much, I'll be honest, because <laughs> you have all the short course guys here as well who take up hours in the pool and it's um yeah, it's hectic. But at the same time, I've found this what I really enjoy is I, I have my routine and I have like everyone, you have your sessions that you need to do. And I have a lot of people. I say a lot, not, not many, but enough that that kind of come into Drona for a week and they're like, Hey, I'm here. Do you want to, do you want to link up? Let's do a couple of sessions. I was like, yeah, great. Like we'll go for an easy 90 minute ride. Oh, do you have intervals? Yeah. Let's do some intervals today, but it's not, it's not forced. And if it doesn't work, no problem, you know? Um, but I would say 95% of what I do is by myself. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I, I link up with a couple of cyclists here and there, but um, yeah. And after so many years of training with someone else and off someone else's watch, I, I'll be honest, I, I love it. It's, um, it's like, so the, I've, I've followed your career for a long time and, and have like sort of known 10% of everything you've said. It's just so fascinating to actually hear what happens inside it. Um, it's one of the main reasons I love doing this podcast. It's like I, I've just yeah. been sitting there sort of, um, yeah, listening to every word you, you've been saying with, with intent. Um, I guess another question I have is, is where's the future for you, Nick? What do you, when you, when you think about your career going forward, what are, like if there was one thing you could achieve, what, what is it that you want? <laughs> um talking in my career or just in in my life in general in your career i'd like to hear both actually now that we've we have yeah, gone a bit no. sh- like our podcast has taken a bit of a um what's the uh, shameless you know the the girls podcast shouldn't yeah. say girls yep. podcast i think they probably are 99 percent girl girl <laughs> listeners though but we yeah it has taken a bit of a shameless twist uh with, with that so yeah. maybe the, the yeah. professional side and the personal side sure so um like professionally you know the goal is always was always to race at the top and i had a very um i had good potential in in 2017 and a lot of personal things happened that year and and you know maybe you know maybe i felt the pressure and then i i i kind of lost my footing a little bit um and then until until now i was i would question a lot of things but like I, I just, I love the feeling of, of getting fit, but also knowing you're on the right track. And, you know, I mean, the, the level is so high now at world championships, but I, like, I, I want to be there and I want to be competitive. And, you know, I have this, this thing in my, in my mind where unless I win a race, I've, I've never been happy. And, and it's, it's something that bothers me because like, I remember, uh, 2019, my family flew over to Girona. We went to um, 70.3 Finland and it was my comeback race. I'd had a knee injury for a year. I raced it. I got second to Daniel Beckengard who sat on the whole time and then outran me because I wasn't run fit. And, and I was so pissed off. Like, and it was, it was great, but I just like second just, just doesn't cut it. And, and I want to take that mentality to, to the big races and, and do that. And, you know, if, if this hip impingement that I had is one of the, the things that, you know, was kind of holding me back, then 
I'm I'm going to be, you know, um, I'm going to be one confident guy when when we come to Kona. Whatever confidence gets me, who knows? But that's that's my goal is is to continue to be, you know, um, at the top of the game as long as possible. Yeah, and and with that, like, do you? Because there's like a lot of talk about triathlon right now, and, and long course triathlon really is the strongest it's ever been. Um, mm. I, I think without question, I don't think there's ever been a period in the sport where it's been close to this. Um, although occasionally, <laughs> I've said that a few times on here, and I, uh, I occasionally get some Instagram DMs from um, from a few old, <laughs> older older folk about the the late '80s, early '90s, telling me how much better that was, which is just like, yeah, yeah, um, pretty funny. But uh, like, do you look at you know Christian Gustav Jan, who you've obviously trained with a lot and, and know how good he is? Do you do you look at those guys and do you feel intimidated by it, or do you feel excited to to be at your best racing those guys? To be honest, I like I have a lot of respect for them because I gave an interview after Ironman Victoria, and you know one of the things I said was like, winning isn't easy. Like you, you see the top guys and they win, and you think, yeah, that's just like, you know, it's just another day in the office. And for me, it, it's just it was a long time between drinks, and and I have so much respect for these guys to to back it up and 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 perform at the big races and and that but like at the same time you know these guys they don't you know they live at altitude they train and and they don't have triathlon is their life and it's great but i also think like you need you need a lot of happiness outside of sport as well and i and i have that and and i love escaping to the mountains and going hiking and camping and you know, with my dog and my girlfriend and that, and that's me. And I think that happiness also kind of is a bit of a, I wouldn't say it's a performance bonus, but it's a mental bonus, you know, that, that I can escape and I can do those things away from sport and, and, and not let it get me down. And I, you know, I see these guys training at, at altitude and they just sleep, eat, train, repeat. Right. And, and I think how exhausting, <laughs> yeah, you know, and and I, like credit to them because it works, but yeah, who who knows what the future will hold? Like how long how long can you do that before you decide that you want to have a girlfriend? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I actually I I heard an interview with Christian <laughs> where he said that he doesn't care about girls or girlfriends. He never wants one. He just wants to win, which is like, hey, yeah. come on, come on. <laughs> Yeah, who's he trying to convince? I'm pretty sure even Christian has a few lonely nights in those single hotel rooms in uh, in, exactly in the exactly. Let's not beat around the bush. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, I'm not going to say who, but someone else who I had on the show, and you'd know if you listened to their episode. But he said to Mm. me off air, mate, that's the reason why they eat so much Nutella. Oh man! It's, uh, it, is, it is interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, would you take the success over not having any? Like, I'm not saying they don't have anything else in their life. I know nothing about them, but th- it appears yeah. from the outside like they live, like you said, they live and breathe the sport. They don't yeah. spend time at home much. They they don't have like you know, uh, they're not going to to their friends' houses on on Saturday nights, are they? They're they're away on training mm-hmm. camps pretty much twenty four seven and and in a team environment and everything is about them being as good as they can be. It's it's an interesting mm-hmm. question. Would you would you 
do would you take that if it meant you had the success or or now that you've just got this balance and like you said you know you're happy with your girlfriend and your dog do you do you think that that ultimately like that stuff is more important um i i believe for myself that i could probably implement a bit more of that professionalism that that commitment to the the process and the program but it's it's a balance and it's a trade-off as well um um and i you know my my victory at ironman victoria even though it's it's quite a rare one it was just so sweet you know and i and i got quite emotional and and just having this built-up frustration and and working and changing things and talking to people and um this you know it's it's like when you go on a holiday if you earn the holiday it's yes. so much sweeter than when and if if you just came from a holiday and you go on another one you know um and to me having that 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 build up and that that, that sweetness from a victory it's just like yeah the the relief and everything is just you know, you can't, you can't compare, not to say that you win a world championship and you haven't put in the work and the sacrifice. Um, but there's just a different, um, there's a different path for everyone, isn't there? Hey, uh, one last question before we go, and it's a controversial one, but it's, it's one I have to ask you because <laughs> you've been in the sport for so long. Can you, can you win mm. a world championship, uh, at the Ironman level clean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would doubt it years and years ago when I was younger, but seeing, you know, seeing the way yarn operates and, and the way that the, you know, a lot of these guys now have the commitment to the sport. I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's a hundred percent clean, but you know, before a couple of years ago, it was a poor sport. People couldn't afford drugs, right? Or <laughs> professionals couldn't afford drugs, but I don't, I don't see it as, as a thing like, you know, and I would know if I'm racing and there's a guy blowing past me, I wouldn't think, ah, he's dirty. You know, it's not, it's not, uh, I wouldn't have a 1% doubt in my mind about the guys that are racing at the moment, maybe in the future, who knows, but you know, with, with, you know, science is just fast tracking our times and our performances so much at the moment. I think it's probably, you know, 20 years behind cycling and it's maybe inevitable in the future that, that a couple of guys, you know, um, look to that because, you know, the, the money that you would win from these races now is life changing. Mm. But at the moment I say, yeah, we're, we're doing all right. We're a good sport. And, uh, you're over there in Europe. Uh, and probably the most common question I've been sending on the Instagram page, uh, in the last week, cause I put up, a a poll who's going to win the Tour de France. And just for a joke, I said like uh, Tade Pogacar, Jonas Vingegaard and or like Lance Armstrong just because I wanted to – I thought it was funny. <laughs> and so now this week I would have got, I'm not joking, at least 50 or 60 messages about how they're all dirty. It doesn't matter, like sort, like sort of thing. Uh, and so I guess I've been thinking yeah. in drugs in sport a lot. Do you – do you follow the tour and, and pro cycling, especially, I guess, your, your, your own coach? He's a coach of a professional cycling team that does very well. Yeah, I mean, and you see um, Jai Hindley, you know, he walks around Girona, the guy who won the, the, the Giro. And, and there's, so, there's such depth here um, in Girona. But 
I loved cycling, especially in the Lance Armstrong era. <clears throat> but then I, I do watch the stages, but I mean, I don't have, and I, and I hate to say it, but I just don't have the respect for the guys that I did when I was younger because it's I, like, I, I hate talking shit about a sport, but it's, it's tainted and it has such a, a, a history of, of doping that, you know, you can't, you can't believe everything you see. And I'm not saying I, I have no idea about the, the current athletes, but it, it just takes that edge off it, doesn't it? And yeah, I, I wish I could love it more, but, but I can't. So. Can you, you can't let yourself just be like, Oh, well, it just is what it is. And I'll just watch it and enjoy it for what it is. Do you, because like you're involved in professional sport and know the sacrifice and, and the, well, I mean, like the, not just the sacrifice, the, but, but everything that it takes emotionally and physically um, and, and what you give up in your life to, to, to just try and be at the top of the sport. Does that take away from it and mean you can't just go like, well, the, the top few guys are probably dirty, so whatever, I'll just accept it because you can, you know, picture a guy who's finishing 60th on GC who might be clean and, you know, might, might be a chance to win in, an, in another world where people aren't doping. Yeah, uh, I, I watch it now and you kind of, um, I guess you have this black spot where you don't think about it. You know, are, are they all doping? Are they not? Oh, he can only do that because he's full of drugs or, or whatever. I don't, like, I have no idea, but you just don't, like for me personally, you don't give yourself 100% to the sport. You know, you're not screaming and, and oh yeah, like, you know, um, Van Art is my favorite or whoever, because who knows next week or next month, you know, they come back positive and then you just, you, you kind of, you, you would be deflated. It's like, you know, you're watching your heroes and, and then they kind of, yeah, they cheat on you, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Not just on themselves. Yeah, it is. And, and yeah, you just don't lend yourself a hundred percent to the, to the race. And I, I still love it. And I still respect these guys because they, they go out and they train their asses off. Um, but that's, that's cycling now in my, in my opinion. Hey Nick, I reckon that's a, a pretty good place to wrap it up. That was uh, that was one of the all-time great chats. Uh, we sort of went yeah. we went everywhere, didn't we? In the end, we went we went deep. <laughs> yeah. Started off very training, and then yeah, took a shameless shameless turn, and then and then and then went into drugs. So that's a that's a good podcast <laughs> in my in my eyes. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Very cool. Yeah, it was uh, it was good to finally chat to you, mate, and. Um, yeah, I really loved seeing you win that race the other day. I thought it was a, a great story and, and, you know, it might not have got the attention that, that Christian Blumenfeld winning the world champs uh, did, but I hope people listening to this can can jump over onto your Instagram and have a look or go and check out the race highlights or, or that sort of thing because, uh, yeah, it couldn't have happened to a guy who, who deserves it more and who's who's grinded away for for buddy all of his life to, to get results like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for you and I appreciate you, your time coming on and, and, and looking forward to, to what you can do the rest of the, the, the year. And, and hopefully you can have a good race in Kona this year and, and next year and, and, and yeah, have a, have a few more big results. Yeah, no, thank you. Like, I mean, you know, the, the amount of uh, responses that I got from, from that race, um, I think everyone was kind of feeling my frustration a little bit. So you know, I have to say thank you to everyone because, you know, um, 
yeah, it, you, you go through the journey together, whether it's family or friends or, or just people that follow you. So, um, you know, um, it's great. And, and, you know, I can't thank everyone enough. And, and I also appreciate you taking the time to, to let me tell my story as well. It's, um, yeah, I don't, I don't often do it. So it's, it's nice. Awesome, mate. Have a, have a good rest of your day and, uh, and we'll chat again soon. Thank you, Jack. Appreciate it. See you, Nick.